Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. And now we will move forward with our message. Uh, The message series is Make It Count, and we have a short video as an introduction to the message. As we begin our message today, the theme is make it count, and and specifically the theme for for this message is is go all in. And I would like to share with you as we begin the words of a poet of my generation that that might lead us to, to understanding this concept of all in a little bit better. This is what he writes. You got to know when to hold them. (laughs) Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There will be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. How about it? That's my dramatic poetry reading of the day. Of course, those are the words of of Kenny Rogers, and we know him as the gambler. And the thing about it with with Kenny Rogers being the gambler, I'm going to be honest with you, I am not a gambler. I'm really not like the card player, poker, that whole thing. I just, for one reason or another, I just never got into it. And I think a lot of people who like that song aren't necessarily into gambling either, But the reason why it resonates is there are are truths about that song that not only apply to gambling, but apply to life. That that we know that there are certain battles that we need to fight, certain battles we need to walk away from, certain things we need to stay away from. And then there are other times in life where, where we are going to take a gamble. 
And so when you think about that, I want you to start thinking about gambling uh, in the sense, not necessarily of going to the casino, but gambles that you take in your life. You gamble if you ask someone out on a date. You are taking a gamble, you are taking a risk if you ask someone to marry you. You are taking a gamble if you think about changing jobs. You are taking a gamble to drive down Baseline Road and whether you'll make it here or not. And really, you are taking a gamble today just by coming in these doors that, that, of, of whether it's going to be something that's useful to you, whether it will connect you to God. There are many things in life that are a gamble. Well, today as we think about that, I, I want you to think, now it's going to get a little more specific. So you go through all of these things in life, and now there's another illustration from a gambling table. And one of the things that I just really like to do, especially a couple of years ago, was to watch uh, gambling and, and watch poker tournaments on, on television. And you would watch what was going on, and one of the most exciting things, as you could see what each player had, a lot of Texas Hold'em tournaments, that there would be a point at which someone would go all in. And you would see them push their chips to the middle of the table, and they're like, I'm all in. And if you watch those tournaments and watch professionals enough, there's really three times when they go all in. One of the times is when they believe they have the absolute best hand. Another time is when they're really low on chips and really desperate and, and have to finally just go all in and, and either win or lose. But there's a third time too. And the third time is when they are getting a read from the other person and they go all in to force them out. That they think they're weak, they think they're bluffing, so they go all in in an attempt to control the situation. Well, today as we look at this lesson and we look at our lives, what I'm hoping, first thing that you will understand, is that as you look at the different gambles that we go through and the things that affect us in our life, people do the same thing to you all the time. And, and we do the same thing to others as well. There are times when we go all in. An example of a time a mom might go all in. You've seen this before when they're at the Playland at McDonald's. So the mom wants to leave, so she goes all in. If you don't come down here right now, we're never going to go to McDonald's again. And so what does the kid do? Calls her bluff. <laughs> There's no way mom's going to stay away from McDonald's for the rest of her life. So they stay up there and now bluff is called, child has learned, call mom's bluff, or mom does bluff. Uh, and so as we look at this in our lives, there are times like that, and, and we're going to look at those today as we go back to, to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. We're going to get there in just a moment, but just wanted to remind you of the time period in which Daniel 3 took place. We're going back to Babylon. And so present-day Iraq is where it's at. And at that time, during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king, that, that the Jewish people were probably about as welcome there at that time that they are today. 
that they were, there was not a lot of love between these people. The, the Babylonians had already gone to Israel and they had captured it. And what they did is they brought the brightest and best people from Israel and they brought them back to Babylon to, uh, to make the nation greater. So, so they wanted contributions from all of these different cultures to make up their culture and to make it great. And it's during these time, this time that there were a number of individuals who were Jewish who stood out. One of them, the one who wrote this book, his name was Daniel. And then there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose names we'll get to in just a moment. But these four individuals were wise men, magi, whatever you want to call them. Uh, sometimes they were called astrologers. Sometimes they were called the leaders of the people because all of these jobs kind of molded together into one and into their government. And so just an aside, you know, when you, when you think of at the birth of Jesus and a little bit later when the wise men came from the east, that if you wonder how would they have known about the coming Christ, these would have been individuals who hundreds of years earlier had heard the words of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and who had seen the power of the Lord. And no doubt, as wise and learned men would have said, we want to read and we want to hear and we want to understand the promises of your God as well, whether they believe them or not. And so we go back to this time in Babylon, this, this time when there was this tension, definitely a racial tension, and a religious tension as well. And what we're going to see is Nebuchadnezzar trying to control that. Nebuchadnezzar is taking a gamble. And we start with Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every, every nation... This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So I know what all of you are thinking because I have that gift from the stage. And you're thinking right now, how high is 60 cubits? Okay, so what are we talking about? How big was this? And then I started thinking about maybe something in Levine that might be about that tall. And something that, yeah, that might stand out a little bit. That's about how tall it was. It, except it would probably just be that column part. So it was big. And, and just like this building, when it went up, people were saying, what in the world is going on with that tall building that, that seems like it's out of place? That when he would have built this tower, the people from all over the place would have said, oh my goodness, they, there would have been buzz about it. And then he went all in on it. He went all in. And notice what all in looks like. First of all, there's heralds loudly proclaiming so, so they're there with, with trumpets and, and all these musical instruments. And then the command, you must do this. Everyone must do this. And then the threat. If you don't do this, you will die. You'll be thrown into this blazing furnace. In the blank, you can write, 
Nebuchadnezzar went all in. Nebuchadnezzar went all in on himself. He went all in on himself. So as we look at him, that question, because when people go all in, we ask the question, is it because he thought he had the best hand? Was it an effort to control other people or was it one of desperation? I'm going to say in this one, I I would say that Nebuchadnezzar thought he definitely had the best hand and it was an effort to control the people of his land, to bring together politics and religion so that they would look at him as someone who was sent by God and all-powerful from God, maybe even a God, and that he would have the power to back it up. Now, when someone does that, when someone uses that and shows this as a demonstration what they want you to do and what Nebuchadnezzar wanted people to do was fold. Okay? That, that you look at the cards in your hand, that you look at your strength, that you look at your power, that individuals in the kingdom would have said, either I have to call his all in, I have to go all in against him, or I need to fold, accept his government, accept his religion, and say, you know what, this is what I need to follow. This is something you could argue, well, we don't have to deal with because we don't have a dictator right now. But I'm going to tell you that we do in our country for sure that we have certain things like political correctness and culture that begin to dictate what is acceptable and unacceptable. And what happens, we're not threatened with... uh, a fiery furnace, we're not threatened necessarily with death, but what we are threatened with is being isolated, being labeled, uh, being looked down on, being, look at being made fun of. And specifically, as it would have been with the three men, we'll, we'll get to them in a moment, it had to do with what they believed and what they believed about God. And I started thinking about this. One of the classes that is coming up and will be next Sunday, Pastor Jeff is teaching it, is our 201 class. And the 201 class is a perfect example of something that if I were a political candidate and I, and I was running for office, and this wasn't even part of my platform, but, but word got out that this is what I believed, that I, I think I would be unelectable as president. The second lesson in in 201, we talk about creation. We go back to Genesis chapter 1 and and go through the six-day creation that's talked about in the Bible. Right now, and and sometimes even, I'm I'm not going to lie to you, when I teach these classes for people who who are unfamiliar with the Bible and and unfamiliar with what God teaches, you, you lead with that And they're like, are you kidding me? I've never heard that before. All that I've ever been taught is evolution. Then we go from there to the fact that there is one God. He's the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From there, we go to the concept and the truth and the reality of sin and being sinful. 
That there are things that you do that are absolute, moral absolutes, that are right and wrong. There is such a thing as right and wrong. And it's not decided by me, and it's not decided by how I feel, but it's decided by God. And, and I simply share that. And when I break that, whether accidentally or intentionally or by not doing the good that God wants me to do, I fall short. And because of that, because of that sin, I deserve punishment, not only in this world, but also the one to come. And even when we share the fact that, that Jesus came as a savior, that he joined us in this world, that he is God with us, he is the one who came to take that punishment that we deserve and, and give us the perfect life because he led it for us, that, that he does all of these things, and he is the way th- for salvation, and that only through Christ can we be saved, that there are those who would say, we disagree with that completely, And actually, you are so narrow-minded and that's so old-fashioned in your way of thinking, you are like out of touch with reality. I'm telling you that that does affect me. That that is not a thing that I look forward to in classes when there are confrontations like that. But I have to believe that as well. There are times when you see things that you do not agree with, that you know are against God and his word, and you keep your mouth shut for fear of being marginalized, whether it be at work or in a friendship or whatever it is. As we look at these three men, to, just to be straightforward with this, they never told anyone else not to do it. We're going to see it's just that they didn't do it. We'll go on from there. Daniel 3, 8 and 12. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. So these were these other wise men. And they said, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. I don't want to mention any names, but their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So now we have other individuals here. So so see where we just were, where where now it's a situation where there's a disagreement in what we believe, and at some point there's like, you know what, if you want to believe what you want to believe and you want to worship the image of gold, I'm not going to like beat you over the head to make you see it my way. But that's exactly what they're saying back. That now what they are doing is they're going to Nebuchadnezzar, they're identifying these these Jews who are in government, they're recognizing when this music plays that they are not falling down, they are not worshiping the image of gold, uh, that they are uh, just standing against what Nebuchadnezzar had to say. In the blank, you can write, the other leaders decided to hedge their bets. To hedge their bets. Now, to hedge a bet means when when you're not sure about your bet, what you do is you kind of play both sides. And the reason why I say these individuals were hedging their bet is they were not going all in just on Nebuchadnezzar. They had a side bet going on, and that side bet was against the Jews. And they're like, you know what, even if Nebuchadnezzar doesn't work out, because ultimately Nebuchadnezzar, there would be a regime change, 
They, they were in a position where, yeah, we're kind of supporting him, but we're really going against these people. Now, to give an example, if some of you still don't understand hedging your bets, um, an example of this would be you know, Pastor Jeff, who we all know is a Cardinals fan, right? Okay, so Cardinal fan, he's excited about the game today. But I walked on him in his office, and he was, I saw him putting a $100 bet on the Panthers for today in the game. And I'm like, Pastor Jeff, what are you doing? And he's like, well, the way I see it, if the Cardinals win, I'll be happy to lose the $100. But if the, the, the Panthers win, then I'll, at least I'll be happy that I won my bet. So either way, I'll be happy today. This story is a complete fabrication, just so you know. <laughs> complete fabrication. <laughs> I know, Pastor Jeff, well, I don't know. He's been scarred, so you, maybe a little, for Cardinal fans, you look at it and you say, maybe it's a little believable because we've been so scarred, and we, we but let's face it, if someone is all in, and, and they were to place a bet, they would place it on the team they wanted to win. There wouldn't be the hedging of the bets in any way. There wouldn't be divided loyalty on what we wanted to happen. And now as we look at this, though, I think we, we have to look at our lives as well and ask the question of ourselves, do we as Christ followers ever hedge our bets? Do we look at God and say, okay, on the one hand, God is the God of the universe. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one who's made the world, saved the world through his Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. He's done all these things. But let's face it, sometimes God needs help. And, and so what I'm going to do at times is help God by doing things that technically he wouldn't approve of to make sure I get what I want. Ex examples from the Bible. Abraham was promised that he would have a son. He was promised that he would have a son through his wife, Sarah. And they waited years and years and years. So Sarah decided to hedge her bets. Here, take my servant woman, sleep with her, and maybe she will give you a son. Just in case God needs some help. Abraham also in his life was told by God, I'm going to bless you. You are going to prosper wherever you go. You have my promises. But when he went down into Egypt and, and one other time as well, he was afraid of the way the people would treat him. So he told them, Sarah is my sister. Hedging his bets just in case God can't do it. Peter did it when he denied Jesus. We do it when we are in situations where we say, yes, I believe in God, but I'm going to do this other activity that I know is wrong. Probably the area where I do it the most, that if I'm completely honest, would be in my offerings. That on the one hand, I pray to God, give me today my daily bread, and I trust that he is going to give it to me, but just in case he needs some extra help, it's always nice to be able to take out of what I would give to him to make sure I have for myself. And that way I kind of take out the middleman. You know, that way it comes directly to me. Sometimes we do that in relationships. And especially the one that I see it the most, and this is just is in sexuality. That when I see people and their desire to be close to another person 
and, and in a marriage relationship, that God makes it very clear the, the order in which that should take place. And, and that especially talks about sex inside of marriage. I mean, it's, it, it can't be more clear than it is in Scripture. But if we really love each other and we want to take our bond to the next level and we're only human, and, and that's the way that we do that. We hedge the bets. And that way we think we can have the best of both worlds, that we'll, we believe in God and we get what we want. We have our cake and we eat it too. And when that happens, even though you think you're protecting yourself, you're diminishing yourself. In a little bit, we'll see how. Okay, so now you have the three men. You, you have the, they were told on. Uh, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? He was giving them the opportunity to say, who would say that? Oh, we'll, we'll do it right now. But instead, they did this. They went all in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And then the next words are, are ones that I'm sure just Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Whew. And this is what it's like at the table when both parties go all in, believing they have the strong hand. In the blank on the next page, you can write, the three men went all in on God. They went all in on God and his might, and they realized the stakes were eternal. This is what, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to lose. They had to lose their positions, their, their power, their prestige, their possessions, their pancakes. We went all P words for a while, and then we decided to maybe go away from that. Their families. All, they, had, they would have lost everything, including their lives. But when they went all in, they realized that there was another chip that they were holding that was the most important chip, and that was their relationship with God. And what they realized is something that you need to understand too, that when you hedge your bets, when you don't go all in on God and his power because you don't want to lose things, let's face it, that's why we fold. We fold because we don't want to lose what we have. But what we forget is that at some point in our life, we do lose everything. And at that time, it's a time called death. And so when you think about it, all of those things, you understand that at some point they're going to be taken away from me anyways. Why in my life would I not want to take everything that I've been given and make it count? To, to stand for something that is not only lasts through this world, but in the world to come. And that's why with the three men in the fiery furnace, and the, these three men, that they had the opportunity to witness to Nebuchadnezzar and everyone in Babylon who the true God was. And so whether it was through their life or their death, they were willing to do it. We continue. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. So his attitude before was, 
we're going to make this go away. We can work this out. Now it changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And that's what they did. The way that it was, it seems like they would, the, the fire was made and there was probably a smokestack of some kind and that they were thrown in from the top. Crazy. They were told that the men who threw them in the fire was so hot that they were killed. It was so hot from throwing them inside. In the blank, you can write, going all in can result in short-term loss. It can result in short-term loss. This is the thing, is that we see this Bible account, and we choose this Bible account because, I don't want to ruin it, but they win. They come out the other side, right? But did you know that 11 of the 12 disciples didn't come out the other side later in their lives when they faced a life and death situation? That 11 out of the 12 disciples died a martyr's death, which means they said to the government, the God that we serve is able to protect us and deliver us from this issue. But even if he doesn't, even if we have to die, we are not going to bow down and serve you. And they were killed. So does that mean that God did not deliver them? No. It means he delivered them from this world in the same way that he will deliver you one day. That you will give glory to him in your life, but you will pass through death to be with him. And understanding that, understanding that truth, that death does not separate you from God, is essential for making this life count. Because now when, when individuals or the world goes all in against us and, and we look at them and, and we don't know if they're bluffing or, or what kind of power they have and the reality of it is that all of these things can be taken from us, that we realize the one thing that can't be taken from us won't be taken from us because of Jesus Christ. And for that reason and that reason alone, we are able to stand up against them. The next, the next portion of God's word from Daniel 3, 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in, in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. This whole, issue, this whole portion right here could really be its own sermon. And, and there's an imagery here that we don't want to miss. And the, the imagery is that, that you see these individuals that were tied up and they, and they were bound in that fire. And there's an irony to the fact that being thrown into the fire actually released them. That, that it seems whether or not these ropes were burned up or exactly how it happened, uh, if they were consumed but, but in such a way that these individuals were not burned, that the fire was actually freeing to them, that, that it loosed them. 
And in the same way, when you think about the fires that we have, that a lot of times we want to say, God will deliver me from the fire. But most times, in my experience, that does not happen. What happens is God releases you in the fire. And and so you face the fire and the fear of it, the very real fear of, of something and everything being taken from you. And when you get to a point and when you see individuals that go through that and see the peace that comes as a result, I'm telling you, as a pastor, being able to see that, and if you've ever had the privilege, it's unbelievable. I I cannot tell you the peace that I have seen on individuals' faces who know they're going to die. Specifically, if if they are in a hospice care situation. And, and what happens before they go into hospice is they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, they don't want to lose, they, they don't want to give up, they, all of these things, and, and there's this, this spirit of fighting. But then what happens is once it's hospice and, and you realize the fight now is, is in the Lord's hands, and now all of these things that I was afraid of being taken away, I now have the thing that matters that will never be taken away. And there are situations that are a privilege to be a part of. And what I'm telling you is, I'm, I'm just like you. I want to avoid fires at all cost. I don't want to be thrown in. I don't, I don't want the, the possibility of these bad things happening. But it's a reality that even in them, whatever you are facing, whatever fire now, understand that there is something about that too that, that we see the releasing power of our God In the blank, you can write, God goes all in on us. And when you think about Christ's life and and all of the things, how he lived this in his life, all of the things that Jesus did not have are things I'm afraid of losing. I'm afraid of losing my house. I'm afraid of losing my means of income. I mean, you know, all of these gifts that God has given me that, that have been uh, truly a blessing to me and have allowed me to be comfortable in serving him. No, none of those things. Jesus did not have any of those things. And so I get this idea in my head, you know, this biggest fear of mine is I'll be at 51st Avenue and I-10 because God's not taking care of me and I'll be begging, uh, trying to make it through another day forgetting what the Lord has given me, forgiving, forgetting what the Lord has given to you. God has gone all in on you. He has given you his son to pay for your sin, to show his great love for you, to forgive you, to restore the relationship he has with you. And as God does that for us and gives us every spiritual gift, the promise is those other things that are going to be taken away anyways, because he loves us and understands that we're also physical human beings, he promises to give us on a daily basis as well. Finally, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Daniel uh, uh, 3.28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. After going all in and God coming out on top, there there was an admiration for what they had done recognizing that their God was incredible and and the risk that they were able to take. They, They made it count. 
they were able to get through to Nebuchadnezzar who had gone all in on himself and now realized that what he had done was wrong. Jesus says it another way. In, in Luke 9, 23 and 24, he says it this way and, and summarizes the truths of this lesson. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And this is the big one right here. For whoever wants to save their life, and what we're talking about is your life, all of the different things you have, all of your possessions, all of these things that are so important. If your desire is to save them, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life goes all in and says, you know what, all of these things, Lord, use them. For me, we'll save it. In the blank, you can write, going all in gives glory to God. Going all in gives glory to God and results in blessing for us. Results in blessing for us. I'm going to make a prediction. I don't normally make predictions from the stage. This is not football related. <laughs> My prediction from the stage today is that no one here will be thrown into a fiery furnace this week. And no one will face the possibility of being thrown into a fiery furnace this week. I may be wrong, but, but that, that would be my guess. But then the question is, how do I go all in? What does going all in look like for me today? My encouragement to you would be to do the little things. You see, with, with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the first thing they had, and a very important thing, was their growth group, right? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the earliest growth group that we know about <laughs> in Babylon. And, and, so when, and if you read through Daniel chapter 3, you know, I say that kind of jokingly, but the truth of the matter is these two went up with little battles before this. One of the battles was over what they were going to eat. And, and, there, and, and what they did is they, they were going to be forced to eat different things that were against the Jewish dietary code. And so they went and they said, they, they, they took a gamble. And they went and said, can you give us a couple weeks to eat what we want to that's not against our dietary laws and see how it turns out. And, and they ended up being very healthy. And, and, and because they were able to go in on that, they came out the other side. Daniel went all in on prayer, something that he did on a regular basis. Even when he was told he could not pray, he, he went as he always did and prayed. And these people knew that, which ultimately got him thrown into a lion's den. My point is this. Going all in starts with little things that are not necessarily life-threatening. Can you go all in on reading your Bible every day? version app, get it, it's great. Get into a, a, a plan. I'm not telling you you have to read 10 chapters a day. I'm, I'm saying to go, to, to go in to start. Go all in on reading God's word. Can you go all in on prayer? On, on, on scheduling a time, on making a commitment to yourself and to God that on a daily basis I am going to go, to go and talk to him. 
Maybe you're going all in, maybe, includes a growth group. Or maybe it includes one of our classes from the class system where you say, you know what, I'm going to dedicate my time and my energy and my efforts, all of these things, I'm going to, to, to do that. I'm going to focus it and, and, and push that in on God and, and see what type of a difference it makes in my life. Do I go all in on a ministry team? Do I go all in by committing to come to worship, coming back Sunday after Sunday and see what happens, see what this looks like in, in a month, in three months, in a year? Because that is the, the way that it works with going all in. That, that as you go and you quote unquote gamble on God, that you hold his promises close, that he shows himself to be worthy of your trust. And you are blessed not only in this life, but in the world to come and in, in eternal life as well. Consider that. In what area of your life is God calling you to go all in? Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that through Jesus, you went all in on us, that, that he gave his life, he gave everything for us, and we know how that turned out. Uh, he defeated death, he defeated the grave, he opened the gates of heaven for all of us. And now, Lord, in this life, it's hard. It's hard because we have all of these pressures and it seems like individuals have stronger hands than we do, that, that we're, we're going to cave. They want us to fold. So send us your Holy Spirit. Send us your Holy Spirit to, so that we turn to your promises, that little by little we, we come to believe them um, more and more each day and realize that, that when we uh, go all in on you, uh, we will always win. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. As you leave today, I want to give a little teaser for growth groups, especially the neighborhood growth groups. Uh, a couple of the questions I know we'll be going through is one of them is, do you think the three men expected to die? Just to, to go through that as they face this issue, how scary and real was it for them? Another part of it is, is going to be uh, each individual kind of looking at their own lives and say, who kind of is forcing me to bow down a little bit? Who's, who's going all in against me? It could be someone like a boss from work or something like that where they're forcing me, where I feel forced to do things that I don't want to do. And then the encouragement, of course, uh, from Christ as well. So uh, strong encouragement to, to consider a neighborhood group and, and joining on being part of it this week. And as you go now, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen.